right, all right, all right. Day 304. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. And my name is Keith. And this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. Today, we begin the very last book of the Bible, right? We are in the book of Revelation. We have made it all the way uh, to the end. And um, man, we are uh, right in line and right close, right here close to the finish line. And we are with the most, uh, (laughs) one of the most difficult books in all of scripture. Many have talked about how it is this capstone of scripture, how it summarizes kind of everything that uh, has come in the 65 books that went before it. But it's really a beautiful picture once you kind of make sense of Uh, what's generally going on now just let me say this on the front end you should not take this book in your left hand book of revelation and read the newspaper in your right hand right like you will uh misinterpret uh the book itself more most importantly but you will also misinterpret the times and the seasons that you are in however what you should do (laughs) is take this book in one hand and read your old testament right in the other hand and you will be able to understand uh much better what is going on what is being said um and just the clarity uh, that God wants us to have from uh, admit an admittedly uh, really difficult and symbolic book, right? So the book of Revelation, um, it is a revelation of the risen, ascended, and exalted Christ. It is a word of prophecy to the seven churches to challenge them, hear this, not to compromise with earthly kingdoms and to remind them and to uh, make them aware of the persecution that will come because of that uh, lack of compromise, and ultimately to comfort them about the victory of their Messiah as they live, hear this, between his resurrection and return. Guess what? That includes us. We are still between Christ's resurrection and return. I really hate when people say, um, you know, back in Bible times, it's like, no, 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 no. Like we're still in Bible times, right? Like this has not all unfolded, right? This great final judgment, which we'll get to uh, throughout the book, especially in uh, kind of the middle and, and the second half, um, has not come, right? And so um, John is trying to get us too to heed his words. And it's funny because um, it's very interesting that at the very beginning, just to frame our work, right? Verse uh, one three is uh, very well. Uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, anyway, the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, right? Which means the unveiling uh, uh, or divine disclosure of unseen spiritual realities to make sense of uh, our moment in or in the world, right? So um, it's interesting that uh, this genre of literature is present throughout the Old Testament and in ancient Jewish literature. So you have Daniel, you have parts of Ezekiel, you have parts of Zechariah, you have parts of um, books like Fourth Ezra, uh, First Enoch, right? Like all these books uh, are, are, are kind of in the same uh, family, if you will, of, of ancient literature. And um, they have a, a ton of imagery and symbolism. So so let me just say this, like the numbers, right, are not always literal, right? And so we need to remember that as we interpret. Uh, and I'll point that stuff out as we kind of go along the way. But John sees this revelation. And again, the purpose was more comfort than it is confusion, right? And it was meant to call them to, again, a faithful and patient endurance. And so he gets into the book. Um, He says the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him talking about John to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed hear this, who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. 
because the time is near. Now, the the phrase uh, blessed comes in one three and it comes at the very end in Revelation 22. So in other words, God is inviting us into blessing. Now, John sounds just like who? Jesus, right? Remember the uh, Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter five, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? All that kind of stuff. Um, and then he says, those who hear this word and those who keep this word. So remember, that's we've talked about before. Like that's Jesus's summary of discipleship, right? Which flows out of the Old Testament Shema, right? We can keep going back. But again, John is just echoing the words of Christ here, right? We are to hear these words and obey them, <laughs> right? That is the essence of our discipleship under King Jesus, right? In verse 10, he comes, he says, I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll, which you see, and send it to uh, the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In the first chapter, we have John receiving a vision of this exalted and glorified Christ. You see that in the text. And this imagery uh, very much comes from places like Daniel chapter 7. It talks about this exalted son of man. And remember, that was Jesus' favorite designation for his very Self. And remember that son of man was the one who received dominion over all of the universe, right? And so this first vision, if you notice, uh, it, it has red letters, <laughs> right? If you have a red letter Bible that bleeds into chapter two, right? And so Christ is going to speak, this exalted Christ is going to speak uh, a word to these seven churches. And um, as I said before, this book has a ton of Old Testament imagery. Right. And allusions and quotations. And so you see this, uh, the seven lampstands and the seven angels. Right. And I think um, and then the seven churches. Right. Which echoes back all the way to the Old Testament. Seven, seven days in creation. Uh, 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 the Sabbath is, is extra, extra special because the seven, seven Sabbath years, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's just um, interesting because there's this element of completion. Right. This this is the full, final, ultimate revelation of history and time as we know it. Right. And with Jesus uh, being shown here at the very beginning in chapter one demonstrate is that he is the lord of these seven churches and the lord of the church uh universally right and he has the keys to death and life to death in hades meaning he has the power both to save and to discipline these specific churches uh that he's going to talk about at the beginning now the purpose of the vision at the front of the book is meant to tell us that the only way to see reality clearly is if we see christ clearly Right. These things, the, the, the seeing of the exalted Christ, which he'll keep coming back to, uh, should frame our reading of the book and frame our view of life. Right. Revelation two, Ephesus. So he, so, he, so he gives the words to these seven churches. The first is Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, uh, we've talked about Ephesus before, one of the largest and foremost uh, major Christian areas in the first century. Right. Ephesians is wrote to Ephesus. First, uh, Timothy and second Timothy uh, was wrote to Timothy while he was uh, teaching and, and preaching and leading in Ephesus and this church. Uh, was strong hear this on their doctrinal vigilance right so they cared about truth truth and uh, uh crossing their theological eyes and, and dotting their theological uh crossing their theological t's and dotting their theological eyes but um they were rebuked for their weakness and love right for christ and for others right is most likely in view here and so what, what, what christ wants to say to this church he's like no, no no truth and love go hand in hand right we can't be proponents of truth and impoverish with love right can it be said of us, right? The more we actually learn about God cognitively, right? And all things in relation to God, do we actually love him and his people more? Christ wants us to hold both hand in hand. Smyrna, he says, be faithful unto death, right? There were some there in this city who were persecuting these Christians and they were Jews. And the irony is that, no, 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 Christianity uh, flows out to of, uh, is a fulfillment of a restoration of Israel and, and Judaism, right? And, um, it's interesting that, that he's like, no, no, be faithful, right? Just as Christ was faithful, 
right? Pergamum, he says, hold, you were holding firm, but you are beginning to compromise, right? And Pergamum, in the ancient world, was was this leading religious center in Asia Minor, right? All of these churches are in uh, uh, Asia Minor, all these areas. And um, at the time of John's writing of this book, they were heavily involved with emperor worship, right? Christians were persecuted harshly for their refusal to engage in it. And so the refusal to worship the emperor in Pergamum was deemed as being disloyal, right? For these unchristians and unpatriotic, right? And the problem and rebuke that Christ gives this church is that they were being tossed and they were beginning to compromise, right? By the winds of the pagan culture and society around them, right? Which was worshiping someone else as king other than Jesus. And I think this is so prevalent in our own time and day, especially when many are swindled into having a religious like zeal and devotion to politicians, right? And leaders in our own uh, earthly society, right? Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You were holding firm, but you're beginning to compromise. And this shouldn't be so Thyatira, he says, you are full of good works, but you're tolerant of false faith, right? I guess if what was a call to stay away from religious compromise, this one is about tolerating, right? Uh, religious compromise, right? And uh, he talks about Jezebel and he gives all this imagery from the Old Testament. Jezebel, who was the wife of King Ahab in the, uh, in the first Kings, right? Who led the kingdom into idolatry, right? And you just see like how it spirals down if you read in first, second Kings. After that, the kingdom, um, he says this kind of, thing is present right here we need to call it out and oppose it right um uh, uh so that we, we we aren't led astray as well sardis he goes into chapter three he says y'all are at the point of spiritual death right y'all are essentially corpses with makeup all over your face right you look good you look alive to the naked eye right you seem to be doing well but your reputation and reality are actually incongruent right nonetheless there are a few, he says, who have not defiled their clothes and who will walk in the Lord with the Lord in all white. That's the image he comes back to. This all white talks about the purity, right, with which God calls his people to have. He says, Philadelphia, you are keeping the word. He says, Laodicea, uh, you are lukewarm and also nauseating, right? And it's interesting because uh, where Laodicea was, it was at the intersection of uh, Colossae and Hierapolis. Right. And so Colossae had the cold waters that would flow in to Laodicea and Hierapolis had the uh, warm waters that would flow in to Laodicea. And uh, they reached their center at this point. And he's saying he uses a kind of play on an actual geographical metaphor to say, no, no, you actually look warm like a like your like your geographical lo location would make you right. Like y'all are lukewarm. Right. Cold or hot, which were actually not um, good or bad. Right. But they were actually uh, two good extremes. Right. Cold water for drinking all that kind of stuff, hot water for bathing. Um, neither of which, though, he's saying could be characterized of this church, right? Like y'all are apathetic, right? And this shouldn't be present among you. And he finishes in Revelation chapter four. So he gives all these words to these churches. And there's so much that could be said. We could obviously do whole episodes on just one church. But in chapter four, he gives part one of a two-part vision, right? That takes place over uh, chapters four and five. And in chapter four, we see the beginning of this vision. And what John is experiencing is a vision of the throne room of heaven. Now, it's interesting. John is going to keep saying over and over. He's going to say, no, 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 this is what I heard. And this is what I saw. This is what I heard. And this is what I saw. And he's playing off of the prophets. Remember, this is a prophecy. And, and remember in the prophets uh, and even in Jesus' own ministry, as he quotes the prophets, he talks about them not being able to hear and them not being able to See, so you see that John is, is 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 receiving this unveiling, right? So that we would be able to hear and see and thus he the word of God. But he experiences this vision of the throne room of Yahweh, right? Remember the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, right? This place where the uh, uh, the high priest went once a year to sacrifice before God and it represented the heavenly places on earth where God actually dwelt. Well, this actual place, John sees in a vision 
right? And only, again, the high priest could go into this region of the temple that symbolized heaven itself once a year. And what John sees is the Lord God Almighty, right, on the throne. And again, he has to use creaturely language to describe heavenly realities. Um, but, but he sees the Lord on the throne. And this vision, if you've been tracking with us through the Bible, and if you've, and if you've read through the scriptures, you see how similar it is to places like Ezekiel chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 6. He even uses the same language. He says uh, day and night, right? He talks about uh, these living creatures who are around the throne who can't stop saying, holy, holy, holy. That's right out of Isaiah 6. Lord God Almighty. Uh, Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. That who was, who is, and who uh, is to come, uh, many have argued, is a kind of um, commentary on the divine name in the Old Testament, Yahweh, which is derived, many believe, from the to be verb, right? Like he is or he will be, right? And so he uses that kind of language here to talk about, no, no, I've seen Yahweh, fam. Like, no, no, I'm in, I'm in the throne room of Yahweh. And uh, and it's so beautiful. Uh, and in chapter five, he unpacks more what goes on in the throne room, which will unpack uh, and, and lay the foundation for what comes in the rest of the book. But you see the ceaseless, unending worship of God, right? That's the that's the whole thing that's going on here. And again, this vision is fronted similar to the first vision of Christ to help us remember that regardless of how things turn out, this is the glory and destiny of the redeemed unceasing unending worship and praise to our God and our King for his glorious victory, which we will learn will be over Satan, the ultimate enemy himself. Everything, fam, today you have to remember that everything is going to be okay, right? It is going to be okay for those who are in the victorious one, Christ himself. Let's pray. God, we ask.